Okay. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Exodus 26. Exodus 26. There's a lot of times when you, um, you know, there, like, we're not going to skip through anything in the Bible. But there's going to be times, uh, not so much today, uh, but when we get into Leviticus, when we're just, especially like when we get into certain genealogies, where I'm just going to read and continue reading and continue reading. Because, you know, when I'm standing before the Lord, I want to tell, tell the Lord, like, Lord, I, I gave your people, I gave your sheep the full counsel of your word. You know, line by line, precept upon precept, and I didn't skip anything. And uh, so in in those regards, you know, it's a way for, it's like you guys are in, in the pulpit, you know, and you're ministering to me because I'm going to I'm gonna make mention of your names when I'm standing before the Lord, you know. And it's going to be so beautiful. And, you know, I can't wait for that day when I'm standing before the Lord. You know, there it helps me today in my own walk because, you know, I, I fear I've Certain things I'm fearful of, you know, and it helps me. And, you know, it's not a bad thing to have the fear of the Lord. Not a bad thing at all. It's so beautiful to have the fear of the Lord. Because, you know, it's like, you know, we're all in the flesh, you know, and we have these impulses. You know, sometimes it can be towards anger. Sometimes it can be towards lust. Sometimes it can be towards all kinds of different things, you know, like how Satan will whisper in your ear and be, you know, hey, take a drink of this or hey, take a hit of this. And it's like, no, I fear the Lord. I'm not messing with that, you know. Get out of here. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is incredibly beautiful. Now, the love of the Lord is also beautiful. It's the two working together. The love of the Lord and the fear of the Lord. And as we're looking at these passages in Exodus, where it's Moses and the Lord, you have a very, very special intimacy. Something I don't want you to forget is... The multitude of people. Because if in your mind's eye, you look at like a mountain, you know, and at the top of the mountain in a cloud is Moses and the Lord. Just Moses and the Lord. And then you come out of the cloud and what do you have? You have Joshua, you know, the assistant of Moses. And then you go a little bit down further from the mountain and you have the elders of Israel. And then you go further down the mountain to the base camp. And what do you have? The entire camp of Israel. So you have those four stations. My question to everyone here today is where are you at? And be honest with yourself. Where are you at currently? And where do you desire to be? You know, because you look at the multitude of people. They're not even near the cloud. But then you say, okay, I want to, I want to, you know, extricate myself from this multitude of people and I'm going to be hardcore. I'm going to be with these elders. It's not necessarily a bad thing to desire, but keep in mind in the course of time, in the next 40 days, you know, this multitude of people here and the elders, they're going to join the multitude. They're going to go down the hill and go back to the base camp. And you know what I say? There's a better way. Be like Joshua. Or even better, be like Moses, oneness with the Lord. And so you ask yourself, you know, and be completely honest with yourself before the Lord. Where is it that you're at and where is it that you want to be? Which of the four stations? Are you at the ba- the bottom of the mountain? Or are you a little bit higher up the mountain with the elders? Or are you a little bit higher like with Joshua? Or are you at the peak with Moses and the Lord? In your walk with the Lord. And so you ask yourself, okay, Lord, where am I? And then, you know, you'll read the Bible and the Lord will show you, well, you know, you got this alcohol problem. Well, you're addicted to sex. You're addicted to drugs. You're addicted to this. And, you know, yeah, I love you, but these things are things that I'm trying to get rid in your life. I don't want them to be in your life. And so you say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to be with the multitude of people. I don't want to be even with the multitude among the elders. I want to be like Joshua. I want to be like Moses. And it's so beautiful. You know, a lot of times people say like, you know, I don't like how you put it like that because it seems like we have to, you know, earn favor with the Lord. And it's nothing like that at all. You know, I call it obedience unto the Lord. What are the things that are in your life that he doesn't like? You know, forget yourself for a moment. But what are the things in your life, in my life, that the Lord doesn't like? 
And you say, Lord, you know, forgive me. I'm going to take this, whatever it is, and throw it in the trash. And it's like, wow, you know, the Lord loves that because it's like, wow, now I can work in you. You know, I've been trying to do this work through you, but I can't do it yet because, you know, you got this stuff going on in your life. And it's like, wow, Lord, I'm not going to yield to me. I'm going to yield to you, Lord. And that's what you see, this beautiful oneness that the Lord and Moses has. Intimacy. The same intimacy that you and I can have with the Lord. Oneness with him. And so the Lord, remember what's happening here is the Lord is giving Moses blueprints for the tabernacle and how things are to be laid out. It's very, very beautiful intimacy. And he's laying it out. I mean, Moses, I want you to do it like this and this and this and this. And he's very specific. And that's what we're going to look at today, you know, and next week, in the next several weeks, we're going to look at these specifics that the Lord has for Moses. It's not just specifics for the sake of being specific. It's specifics for that, but then also for a purpose. You know, what's what's going to happen in Israel? What's going to happen with the uh, the tribes in Israel. How are things going to pan out in terms of problems that they're going to face with other nations, other peoples, battles that they're going to go into? And the Lord is saying, hey, yeah, these, these things are going to happen, but I want to set the groundwork. And Moses, this is what I want you to do. And it reminds me of you and me. You know, think about all the battles that you're going to face. I mean, if you think about the the storm, the present storms right here and now. And five years ago, you probably would say like, wow, there, um, there's no way I'm going to face a storm like that. And yet here we are. You're in the midst of those storms. You're in the midst of these battles. Well, five years ago, maybe the Lord was trying to prepare you then for something he knew was going to happen. And what about right now? Not just here in our study in Exodus 26, but when we study the Bible in, you know, in the New Testament, Old Testament, all over Scripture. What about your own personal studies? What are those things that the Lord is prepping you for? A battle that you're going to face next year. A battle that you're going to face in 10 years. A major, major battle where if it happened right now, you would fall. But then as you grow and mature, your legs get stronger, your arms get stronger, your shoulders, your back, your mind. You have the wisdom of the of Holy Scripture. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, this whole time, Lord, you've been preparing me. That's how the Lord works. He did it with Moses. He's doing it straight up with Joshua. Remember, you know, like Joshua's going to be number two in command after Moses dies. And he's going to be the one that leads the people into Israel, into the land of milk and honey. And what's so special about Joshua is that Joshua wasn't, he wasn't part of the elders. He wasn't part of the multitudes at the bottom of the hill. He was like this with Moses. And Moses was like, okay, come on, let's come over here. Let me tell you about this. Remember the battle he had? You know, there was a great war that he had. And Moses was on the top of a hill and he was praying for Joshua as he was fighting. And, you know, Aaron and um, another guy, they held up his arms, Moses' arms. And whenever they would lift up his arms, Moses would pray and they would start to win the battle. Israel, Joshua, and Israel led by Joshua. All these things where the Lord took Joshua and says, hey, I'm preparing you for greater battles. And we're going to see, like in the book of Joshua, you're going to see there's great, great, great battles. And I love, I'm so in love with Joshua. I'm, not, I'm in love with all these people, men, women, young, old. But Joshua is like, he's like in the top tier. You know, Paul's in the top tier. I don't know. There's a lot of people in top tier. But I mean, like all these people, it's like, wow, Lord, these people are so beautiful. But you know what? He'll do the same with you. The exact same thing with you. And the, the higher you get on the mountain, you know, and I'm speaking metaphysically, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not anything that we have to do. It's not like we're treading up a big mountain. The way you come up the mountain is how much do you want to die? How much are you willing to deny yourself? But the higher you get up the mountain... The lonelier it's going to be. The lonelier it's going to be. 
You know, and such is the case with Jeremiah. Look at what happens with Jeremiah in... Um, Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15. Remember, they called Jeremiah the lonely prophet or the weeping prophet. He was lonely because he was the only one that was speaking for the Lord. He was weeping because he was pleading for the people. Hey, cut it out. And they would make fun of him. They would say, oh, you know, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. You're so dumb. Look, we're the elect of Israel. God is for us. God is for us. And Jeremiah would plead with them, thus saith the Lord, repent, repent, repent. And so in Jeremiah 15, verse 16, your words were found and I ate them. I love this so much. Your words were found and I ate them. You know what I think about when I read that? Taking the word of God and just consuming all of it, all of it. You do that in your life and all will be well with you. All will be well in your soul. The good, the bad, the ugly. And I don't mean the bad and ugly like, you know, as, you know, defamation of the Lord. I mean, good. there's some bad and ugly scenes in the, in the Bible. A lot of sex. A lot of idolatry. There's a lot of ugly things in Holy Scripture. But you know what happens is to say, okay, to understand that, yeah, that's an ugly thing. Understand the nature of what happened. But then at the same time, you see the mercy and grace of our Lord to the one that repents. And these are things that are going to be like little protectors in your life. Because you're going to remember, wow, I don't want to be like Saul was when he goes to the witch in Endor. You know, and he does all these things. He commits this great sin. I don't want to be like that. Because the Lord is preparing you for another battle, another battle. Remember, Satan's going to come after you left and right. You know, sides, you know, all over the place. But here in verse 16, Jeremiah says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers. You know, that's where the multitude is. I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. You say like, man, you know, I don't get it. How come Jeremiah, he's a godly man. How come he's not rejoicing? Well, his brand of rejoicing is far different from the rejoicing of the multitudes. Remember when, you know, the church in Corinth, you know, they were rejoicing, coming to church and singing and praising the Lord. And then Paul writes a letter and he says, you guys... Your rejoicing isn't a good thing. You need to repent. You know why? Because there's sin in the camp. You need to repent. So the brand of rejoicing that Jeremiah had was far different from the rejoicing of the multitude of people who were saying, Jeremiah, you're so stupid. We're of the elect. God is for us. And he's writing here in verse 17. I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone. You see, there's a lot of loneliness when you walk with the Lord. You know, I've told that to people before. You know, it's a lonely road. You know, and sometimes people don't accept that too well. What do you mean it's a lonely road? I like the fellowship of the saints. I like to, to meet, you know, and go have my, you know, meet with the men and have these Bible studies. And it's it's happy hour. So, you know, we throw down a couple of brewskis. It's like, man, you know, you don't get it. You don't get it, brother. Yeah, you have fellowship. But I'm not talking about oneness with them. I'm talking about oneness with the Lord. I'm talking, go a little bit higher up the mountain. Go to where the cloud is and nobody can see you. And it's just you and the Lord. Such is the case with Moses. Such is the case with, with Joshua. With Samuel. Here with Jeremiah. With Peter. With the disciples. 
And what's so powerful in our study in the book of Acts is that you see the church in one accord. You know, they're not getting drunk. You know, they're not, you know, watching Netflix. They're not doing all these crazy things. They're just in one with the Lord, with one, with one another, and then also with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's fellowship of the saints. But there's a lot of loneliness when it comes to your walk with the Lord. There is a lot of loneliness. And Jeremiah says, I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. And I love that last part, you have filled me with indignation. Because have you ever been a partaker in a certain lifestyle, that sinful lifestyle? And then all of a sudden, the Lord takes your life. He takes your life. He changes your mind, changes your heart. And then all of a sudden, it's like that lifestyle becomes disgusting to you. And it's like, wow, look at the work that the Lord has done in your life. You know, and people will hate you. When people say, hey, come over with me, you know, it's ladies night, you know, cheap beer, you know, and all these stupid guys are going to buy us cheap alcohol. And they're like, yeah, it's fellowship, you know, ladies night, you know, let's let's fellowship together. And you're like, what in the world? That's a dumb life. Why are you doing that? And you're filled with this indignation that doesn't, it's not you. It's the work of the Lord, how he's changed your mind and your desire to live holy before him. And your desire to not sit in the assembly of the mockers. And you sit alone. But you know what? Who cares? Because you're in the cloud with the Lord. Just you and him. That's what I love so much about these beautiful, beautiful, godly men, godly women, young, old, all through the Bible. Because you see these people, it's like they're not man pleasers. And here with Moses, what's happening in Exodus 26. I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but you start to understand how Moses was a little frustrated with the people. You know, it, it kind of got the best of him and in in at in the end of things, it kind of got the best of him. Where the Lord says, Moses, you're not a good, rep- you're, not, you're not representing me. And he had to pay a price, a heavy, heavy price. But yet still you have this oneness. And, I, you know, when you think of Moses as a type of Christ leading us to, to Zion. And you see this, these shortcomings of man. I love it so much when that happens. Because it's not to say that Moses was the Messiah only a shadow of the things to come? I love humanity in Holy Scripture because it reminds me of you and me. That we're in these earth suits, these earthen vessels. But yet the truth of Holy Scripture remains. And so the Lord in this beautiful, beautiful intimacy that he's having with Moses, the people, they're way down there. The people who are more hardcore, They're a little bit higher. The elders, you know, that's where Aaron is. And eventually, you know, when, you know, they go back to the bottom of the hill. Moses and Joshua come back from the hill or the mountain and they see, you know, Aaron's there. He was the one who fashioned the the, the golden uh, calf. He was the one who told the people, okay, bring all your gold together and we're going to make this thing. That was Aaron. It's only a matter of time before these elders went down to the base camp to join the multitude. And the better way is to be, you know, a little bit higher, like Joshua. Even a little bit higher still, like Moses, and have that oneness. And so look what happens here in verse 1, these blueprints that the Lord is giving. He says in verse 1, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains, of fine woven linen and blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. 
five curtains shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the selvage of one set. Selvage is like a durable fabric. You know, like if you have a shirt and you have this like a thick part of the, it's like so it won't rip or so it won't, you know, to prevent, to prevent like a frays or tears. The Lord is very, very, very specific here. These blueprints that he's giving to Moses, but it's for a purpose, which we're going to get to. And he says, uh, uh, and likewise, you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make in one curtain and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set that the loops may be clasped to one another. You know, I have to tell you, when we get on further in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, there are going to be passages that we hit that we're going to refer back to. And I'm going to say, hey, remember when Moses was on the top of the mountain with the Lord? And we're going to see these things. So there's a purpose behind everything that the Lord is, these blueprints that the Lord is giving uh, to Moses. The same way there was a purpose behind the blueprints that the Lord gave to Noah. Imagine Noah building a big boat. I mean, it'd be one thing to build a boat that was next to water. Because, you know, when it was done, you could say, okay, you know, push it in the water. Or, you know, when you, when you had the, the hole done, you could push that in the water and get inside and continue to build it. That's applying intellect and logic to a situation. But when the Lord says, hey, I want you to build an ark and build it right here. Imagine the people. What they would have said when they start to see it, like, you know, like a little... The very bottom of the boat. Like, okay, what's that, you know? I wonder what this is. Hey, Noah, what is this? Oh, I'm building an ark. I'm building a big boat. And they're like, okay, you know, you're kind of crazy. And remember, the Bible says, Brother Peter reveals by the Holy Spirit that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So, yeah, I'm building a boat, by the way, you know, God loves you. And so all these things or, you know, hey, you want to go get drunk tonight? No, no, no. Let's study the Bible. Let's, you know, study these things. Let's pray before the Lord. Let's make alms before the Lord. And then so what about when that boat gets bigger and bigger? When his sons, you know, carrying these big things of wood. Imagine how stupid all the people, the multitude of people must have thought Noah was. Why in the world are you building this ark? In the middle of nowhere, the water's like a hundred miles out. And you're building a big old ark here. And everybody would mock him, call him stupid, call him foolish. Until the rains came. Until the rain comes. Such is the case with you. Why are you going to church? It's so stupid. You know, come to this big, great, big church, you know. We got all these things, these, you know, these perverts can take care of your kids, you know, do all these things. We study the Bible and you're like, you go there with your Bible and they open up these books. Oh, you know, this guy says this, this guy says this. Why are you going to go to this dumb church? Why is it that you don't want to drink beer with me? Why is it that you don't want to go to the strip club with me? Why is it that you don't want to get high anymore? Look, I got this pot. It's good. The best stuff, you know, it's not laced with anything and you don't want to drink it. You don't want to, you know, toke of it anymore. You're so stupid. Everything's fine and dandy until the rains come. And people who have problems in their life, the rains come. Who's the first person they talk to? Hey, I got a problem. Can you help me? It's not to say that you're going to turn them away. It's to say, you know, they know. Your very witness testifies of these things. They see the sure ground. They see the firm foundation of your life. And their life is being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And you see it. You see the wreckage. And I'm not speaking of, you know, I don't speak to multitudes of people. But it's so cool because it's like we have these little moments where you have very special intimacy. It's to say, hey, you know, 
Stay here on the mountain. Stay here on the mountain. Don't be on the base camp with these, you know. Yeah, it's like they're part of the family, you know. I love them and everything. But look what's happening at the base camp. Maybe not now. I mean, we're just like, you know, in the span of, you know, 40 days. The people at the base camp, they say, oh, what happened to Moses? He's dead, you know. He doesn't have any food. He's dead. So therefore, since he's dead, let's fashion this image. Let's fashion this other God. That's what happens. It's the nature of mankind. It's the nature of the flesh. Deception of Satan. And so the Lord is giving these beautiful, beautiful blueprints for the tabernacle. Where the Lord is like one with the people. He comes, you know, you see in the Old Testament, the, when it's at, the, at, at the end of this special moment of intimacy, the Lord is like, you know, I'm going to be with you. It's here that I want to be with you. And I'm going to speak to you. And I'm going to bless the people. You start to realize like, wow, you know, the, the Lord is giving these blueprints for a reason. I'm going to guide you, you know, and when it's time to go, you know, you pack things up and then you go. I'm going to lead you over here. And then when you get to here in this other base camp, then, you know, you erect it again. And this is how you lay out the campground. It's special blueprints. And so he continues to say in verse five, 50 loops you shall make in uh, in the one curtain and 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set that the loops may be clasped to one another. And you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together with the clasps so that it may be one tabernacle, one tabernacle. Notice the specificity that the Lord is giving to Moses. You shall also make the curtains of goat's hair. To be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits. And the width of each curtain 4 cubits. And the 11 curtains shall all have the same measurements. And you shall couple 5 curtains by themselves. And 6 curtains by themselves. And you shall double over the 6th curtain at the forefront of the tent. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and 50 loops on the, on the edge of the curtain of the second set. And you shall make 50 bronze clasps. Put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. The remnant that remains. Notice the remnant that remains, it's not cut off. You know, like what happens if you were to make something, you know, and then you maybe you overmeasured. And, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to cut this off and throw it in the trash or use it for something else. The Lord is saying, no, this remnant that remains, don't throw it away. He's giving, the Lord is giving him specific blueprints for exactly what to do. And he says, the remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent, the half, the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains of the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. So this remnant is like a covering. You shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. <clears throat> In verse 15. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. You know, something I have to say here. In, we're not, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm prepping you. For in Numbers 2, in Numbers 2, the Lord gives Moses more blueprints. It's to have the tabernacle in like right in the middle. And then you have a campground over here of the tribe of Dan. You have over here the tribe of Judah. You have over here another tribe. These are tribes that are coupled together, like grouped together. Three tribes in each. And another tribe here on the side. Northwest, south, south, and east. And if we were in Numbers 2, at the end of Numbers 2, if we would take a, like a, a time machine and go back in time to Numbers 2, and, you know, say Fur is there and he has a drone with him. 
and you say, okay, for, you know, here, I'm going to hold the drone right here and, you know, hit the button and go as high as you can. And then, you know, Emily's there with her phone. And then all of a sudden, first sends the drone up and we look at the phone to see what image is there. And you know what you'll see on the ground is a cross. You'll see a cross. You see, all these things are a shadow of the things to come. You'll see a cross. And we're going to study that when we get to Numbers 2. You're going to see a large number of people here, a smaller number of people here, and another group of people here, and then another group of people on the sides. And then you're going to see the tabernacle right in the middle with the Levites, the Levitical priesthood. And the Lord is saying, this is the blueprints of how you shall lay it out. And it's a cross. In the wilderness where, the, where Israel travels. That's what's so cool about being in the wilderness. You know, sometimes the wilderness, you know, isn't really a good place. The wilderness can be a good place or it can be a bad place. But no matter what, the Lord is doing a work. Sometimes people go into the wilderness because like they're lost. But then at the same time, people go into the wilderness and it's like a testing ground. Remember the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ himself went into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. Moses went into the wilderness. A lot of things can happen in the wilderness, but the whole time, as we see in Numbers 2, you know, you're going to see the Lord is right there. The tabernacle is right there. Tabernacle in the Old Testament is a noun. But the tabernacle in, as new covenant believers is a verb. How the Lord desires to tabernacle with us. He desires this intimacy with you and with me. And all these things are a shadow of the things to come. I mean, this is straight up the law. I mean, not necessarily the law, but I mean, these, the Lord is giving like these, these blueprints to Moses. In this beautiful intimacy that he's having with Moses in the cloud. For a purpose for later days. Even later days when Moses is dead. Later days as a shadow of the things to come. And I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. What about the blueprints that the Lord gives you and me? And you study the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, all these blueprints that the Lord is giving you. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Jesus Christ was raptured. We study that in Acts 1. And he's the first fruits of the resurrection. You know what that means? There's going to be more. He's just the first. It's so powerful to read the Old Testament as new covenant believers. Because we can pinpoint these things. We can pinpoint these things and say, wow, you know, not to say like, you know, not to leave the things of the old covenant and return to the law. But to hold on to the things of the new covenant and read the passages of the Old Testament as new covenant believers and be like, whoa, oh my goodness, Lord, the whole time there was a purpose behind all these things. And when you live out the word, not just being a hearer of the word only, but being a doer of the word, you can start to realize, Lord, you gave Moses blueprints. You gave uh, uh, Noah blueprints. You gave uh, 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 Isaac blueprints. You gave Joshua blueprints. You gave all these people blueprints on what to do. What in the world? Why in the world would you ever think that the Lord is not giving you blueprints? When the word is right here, Genesis to Revelation, the word of God is crystal clear. No, he's giving you blueprints. The question is, do I want to apply these things in my life? Oh, but Lord, I love these drugs. I love this meth. You know, this dealer over here, he's so cool. We hit it off well. He's my homie. And look, he supplies me with this meth and all these things. Man, this is the greatest thing ever. And the whole time you're making the Holy Spirit cry. Grieving the Holy Spirit because the Lord desires to do this work inside of your life, inside of my life. You know, that's what I'm talking about when I say oneness with the Lord. 
And I'm speaking individually because we all have our families. We have our immediate families. We have, you know, and, and you know, friends and family all around us. But I'm speaking individually. Where is it that you want to be on the mountain? The bottom or the top? And it's not like you use your legs to walk up the top of the mountain. No, you don't lose your... You die more to self. You yield to the Lord. Okay, I'm going to put down the crack pipe. I'm going to put down the strip clubs. I'm going to put down the alcohol. I'm going to deny all those things. I'm going to put down the false doctrines, the false teachings. And the Lord will do a work. He will do a work we're studying in the book of Acts. And, you know, by the time we're done in the book of Acts, you guys will be just so blown away. So, so, so blown away. Like, oh my goodness. And that's what's so cool about the book of Acts. You see what the Holy Spirit, what the Lord can do through the Holy Spirit inside of a church. Inside of a body of believers. Individually and corporately. And so he continues here in verse 16. He says, 10 cubits shall be the length of a board and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. Two tenons or joints shall be in each board for binding one to another. Thus you shall make for all the boards of the tabernacle and you shall make the boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side. You shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards. Two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, there shall be 20 boards. And there are 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. For the far side of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six boards. And you shall also make two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. They shall be coupled together at the bottom and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus it shall be for both of them. They shall be for two corners. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five boards five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlay the bars with gold. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern which you were shown on the mountain in this special intimacy that the lord is having with moses he's telling him giving them these, these instructions to raise up the tabernacle exactly the same way that the lord is showing him hey moses the way i'm showing you how to do this is the way i want you to fulfill it what i'm telling you is what i want you to do does that sound familiar you open up the Bible, and I wonder if the Spirit of the Lord is saying, Here, I'm telling you all these things, and then you go down from the mountain, and it's you're with the people, and I wonder if the Spirit of the Lord is saying, Now I want you to live it out. Now I want you to live it out. That's what Brother James writes. Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. That can only happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you can try to be a doer of the word, but if you're doing it outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. 100% of the time, you might be able to go five months. You might be able to go five years, but you will fail. It's phony. There's no power behind it. But yielding to the Holy Spirit of the Lord, it's like, Lord, you know, this guy makes me mad. This guy really makes me mad. But Lord, I yield to you. I'm not going to punch him. I'm not going to cuss him out. Lord, help me to love him. Help me to love this guy. And then the Lord blesses you and it's like, okay, you know what? I can, I can go have a cup of coffee with this guy. 
and we can talk. You know, have you ever, like, you know, have you ever felt conviction in your own life by the witness of another person? You know, and praise be to the Lord. That's what happens in beautiful moments of fellowship in the body of Christ. How so, how we can help another person and another person can help us. Koinonia. Oneness with the Lord. But then at the same time, you know, having oneness with the, the koinonia in the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And so the Lord is saying, and you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. In verse 31, you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. Remember this veil. This is the same veil that was torn when the Lord says to tell us that it is finished. He says, you shall hang it upon the four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the Ark of the Testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. So you see what's happening here? You have the, the, the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle is called a holy place. And that's where, you know, you have uh, the showbread. That's where you have the lampstands. But then at the same time, inside that holy place, there's a veil. And that veil on the other side of that veil was called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this Ark of the Covenant, if you remember in chapter 25, verse 21, still in these blueprints, the Lord says to Moses, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. You see this very, very special intimacy that the Lord desires with this people. He says, hey, it's there that I'm going to meet with you and I will speak with you. And so the Lord is saying here in this passage in verse in chapter 26, verse 33. That the ark of the testimony is in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. But remember, in accordance as new covenant believers, the veil is torn. From top to bottom, the veil is torn. Not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom, the veil is torn. Now, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10... Verse 19, the writer here says in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see, remember, the veil was torn. And you know what? Today, for you and me, the veil is torn. But in the Old Testament, it was only the high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies. And the writer here is saying, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. You see all these things in the Old Testament, these blueprints that the Lord is giving Moses is a shadow of the things to come. This verse 20 here in Hebrews 10, this new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. That is his flesh. In verse 
says, And having a high priest over the house of God. This is what he says now in verse 22. Let us, that's you and that's me. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see what's happening here? It's not to say, hey, let's go back to the law and observe the things of the law. It's to understand that the law points to Jesus Christ. And not only that, just like he says here in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us consider one another. Exhorting one another as so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord who is coming again. You see how powerful this is? And here we are in these, the very infancy of these things. Very, very holy things which are a shadow of the things to come. This is what the Lord says now in verse 34, going back to Exodus. Going back to Exodus 26. Verse 34. He says, You shall put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil. And the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. So you see what's happening here? You have the holy place. And then on the north side, you have the table where the showbread is. And then on the south side, you have the lampstand. But then on the west side, you have the holy of holies. And what do you have on the east side is the altar. The altar. What do you have? You have another cross. Another cross. You know, do you remember a couple weeks back ago when we looked at the showbread in uh, chapter 25, verse 30, and we looked at the showbread? And I said there is no indication that the showbread has no leaven. It's not like uh, unleavened bread. There's no... no Nowhere in the Bible does it suggest that it is unleavened bread. And for me, I love that. I love that so much. Because if you consider this holy place, these blueprints, if you consider it as a cross, it is in the outline, the outlay of a cross. If you were to take a drone and go up, you would see a cross. Not necessarily in the camp of Israel. We're not there yet. But in this blueprint of the tabernacle, you would see a cross. The holy of holies, the holy place, the altar. And then on the sides, you'd see the table of the showbread and then the lampstand. So you see Jesus Christ on a cross. On a cross. And you have his left hand and his right hand. And you know what I love so much about this? In his left hand, he has you and he has me when we first became believers. He'll take you as nasty as you are. He'll take you. You could be a drug addict. You could be a sex addict. You could be an alcoholic. He'll take you no matter what. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Just like he says, if you believe me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. Those are the words of our Lord. That's what he takes in his left hand. But then what happens now in his right hand? 
Here, in accordance with the outlay of this tabernacle, you have the lampstand. Straight up, the lampstand. So you say, I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, turn with me really quick to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And this is red letters in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Seven stars. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Remember, the things that are written of old are a shadow of the things to come. So way back in, you know, from this point in Revelation... You hit the rewind button to these blueprints that the Lord is giving to Moses. And what do you have in this lampstand? It's symbolic of heavenly things. It points to things above. The, a tabernacle that's not made with hands. It's a shadow of the things to come. He says, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those and who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You say like, wow, this is a, this is a cool church. I really love this church. You know, they're hardcore. He says in verse 3, And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. It's like, whoa, this is an awesome church. I love this church. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from when, where you have fallen. He says, Repent and do your first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Unless you repent. And he says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You see all these things? Even the tabernacle way, way, way back in time from this moment in Revelation chapter 2, way back in time to a godly man in the cloud on the top of the mountain. The Lord is giving these blueprints, which are a shadow of the things to come. And this tabernacle that the Lord is giving is a shadow of uh, uh, the temple that will be built by David's son Solomon which is a shadow of the things that Jesus Christ built in the tabernacle in you and me, which is a shadow of the things to come in the heavenly realm. A tabernacle not made with human hands, the hands of man. All these things point to Jesus Christ. Everything, Jesus Christ. It's not, you know, we can look at these passages on the mountain Look at these passages, and I never, ever, ever want to gloss over this fact that it all points to Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so, you know, going back here to uh, verse 36 of Exodus 26, almost done here. He says in verse 36, you shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven of blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. So you see, there's three entry points of the tabernacle, three entry points of the tabernacle. There's, you know, for the the the, the outer court coming outside into the tabernacle. But then there's another entry point, which is the holy place. But then there's another entry point, which is the Holy of Holies. Do you remember when Jesus Christ, he says, hey, I am the gate. I am the door. What else does he also say? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Three entry points. Yes, I believe. 
entry point number one. I want to enter the holy place. Truth. Entry point number two. You take your last breath on earth. You take your first breath in eternity. Entry point number three. Life. And life everlasting. Just as is written what we just read. He says in Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. He who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him overcomes. I will give to eat of the tr from the tree of life. Which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And praise be to the Lord. Because Jesus Christ is the way. He's the only way. No one comes to the Father but through him. I'm just the messenger. In verse 37. It says, and you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold and you shall cast five sockets of, broad, of bronze for them. Now, you know, I said, you know, in closing, but now this is really in closing. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. There's this beautiful, beautiful man who I'm so in love with. So, so, so in love with. I can't wait to meet him. His name is Stephen. His name is Stephen. And this is what he says to the people of the law, religious leaders. In Acts chapter 7, verse 44, he gives a little account of what we just read in Exodus 26. He says, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness, this Remember, the tabernacle is the, the, what he's referring to here is the same tabernacle that the Lord is giving blueprints to Moses on the mountaintop. He says, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. So God wasn't only like telling him the blueprints, he was also showing him. You know, hey, this is how you need to make it and do it like this and like this and like this. The people at the base camp, you know, we're going to get there. But, you know, they say Moses is dead. Oh, Moses, he should have come down by now. He's dead. Let's go worship this. Let's go worship this golden calf. He says... Uh, uh, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David. So <clears throat> he's showing how this these blueprints for tabernacle worship, how it passed from generation to generation to generation, as he says here in verse 45, until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon, remember, David was like, Lord, I want to make you a tabernacle. And the Lord said, David, you have blood on your hands. You're a man of war, David. You have blood on your hands. But you know what? Your son Solomon, he's the one. And so it says here in verse 47, but Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? So you know what's so beautiful about this intimacy that you and I have with the Lord? You say, Lord, you know, I desire oneness with you. Lord, I want this intimacy with you. And he says, okay, I give you my son. And the word became flesh. I have this intimacy with you through my word. And it's like, wow, praise be to the Lord. But one day... Something's going to happen. You might be old and the life in you is going to dwindle down to where it's difficult to breathe. And you take your last breath. Or you might die. You might get in a car crash. Either way, you're going to die. But at some appointed time, an event is going to happen where the Lord says, you know what? Now it's time for you to come be with me. 
and you have intimacy with the Lord. Intimacy with the Lord. A divine oneness. And it's so beautiful. These are things that are not to be shunned. When people call you stupid, when people call you foolish, you know, who cares? Who cares? Who are they? And I'm speaking individually. Let them make fun of you. Who cares? Rejoice in these things that you're counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. You know, such is the case with all these people in the Holy Scriptures. Young, old, male, female. God is good. So we're going to end our study here.